0: Hello. 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 And welcome to the Pioneer's Post podcast, social enterprise stories and conversations from across the world. Welcome to part two of this Fit for the Future podcast on risk and sustainability. My name is Anna Patton, I'm the managing editor at Pioneer's Post. I'm here with my co-host Eddie Finch from Buzzacott and our guests Zoe Portlock from Social Enterprise Bike Works and Tej Dami of the Change Coefficient. In part one, we heard why resilience is all about purpose and passion. We heard why funding, but also trust and tough conversations are critical to a long-term mindset. And we heard why taking shortcuts on communication can be one of the most dangerous things when it comes to risk. In part two, we'll discuss innovation, communicating financial concerns with your board and staff, and why diversity and inclusion are vital too. But first, Eddie asks Zoe how attitudes to risk may change as an organization grows.
1: A few of the things that you've, you've both described really include an expectation of change. And in the UK especially, we're inclined to think about change being all about growing an organization and making it bigger all the time. But as as you've rightly already pointed out, often it's about changing what you do and, and looking at things in a different way. But I, I just wonder from your experience of whether there are particular points in the growth and development of an organization where risk and and sustainability become more of an issue and more difficult to manage than others.
2: I'm not sure if it becomes more of an issue um, or if it's actually more about where you are in the life cycle and maturity of the the business itself, the social business and, and the team and their experience. Um, I think if we look at the, the life cycle of a social business, it uh, probably best reflects the attitudes and cultures at various points uh, of, of the journey. And If I take, for example, for bike works over the past 15 years, you can see our appetite for risk continues to change. It's not static and it's not a fluid thing. Um, if you mark out the stages, uh, you'll see how we've approached the situation differently over time. So if we take that typical life cycle of the child, the teenager, the adult... Or as we know it to be, birth, growth, maturity, uh, and decline as that cycle. Um, I would say that in the young adult stage of our life cycle, that we were probably taking our biggest, uh, biggest risks as bike works. And for social businesses, I'd probably also want to clarify. What we mean by growth, for us at BikeWorks, we focus on scaling and sustaining our impact by balancing people, purpose and profit. So I think there's some work here around some of the language and its meaning as well, and its appropriateness for the the business fit. Having the right operating structure and the people in place will probably mean that you need to bring in expertise to support at various points of your life cycle. And having that expertise there uh, is really important. Uh, We just don't spend enough time developing our social leaders to equip them with the tools um, or indeed the human resources they'll need at these different stages. And I think this within itself is a risk. Um, When we grew our shops as part of our business model many years ago at Bikeworks, there is a difference to running the corner shop uh, to suddenly having a small chain dotted across London. That's a whole new world and we certainly were not equipped for it at that time. Uh, And we ultimately we paid the price for that.
1: And I think that plays into something you mentioned earlier as well about if if social business is really going to take over large parts of the economy, as it were, it needs to maybe go through some more growth stages where a sort of more corporate, in the least obnoxious sense, of corporate style becomes more appropriate. Founder syndrome is a real is a real thing in social enterprises, and organisations need to develop to survive on their own with uh, as you say you put the right people in place and, and structures and systems become more important
3: if i can add as well Eddie, um, risk is defined in relation to what you're able to lose and i think that's an, an incredibly important thing to understand because i think that is not driven by the stage of enterprise you're in it's driven by you know things like the reserves you have but also oftentimes in the early stages what you as an individual have to lose by pursuing this endeavour and I think that's incredibly important because we are as a sector not as inclusive um, as we could be because we don't recognise the different risks and the different positions people are in to be able to enter this sector.
1: Is there something practical we could be doing to make the sector more inclusive?
3: Yeah I I think there's a lot of good work around outreach and showing more people that social entrepreneurship is is a, a path for them, and it, it really is about outreach because inclusivity is not. I don't think inclusivity can be achieved by saying sitting there saying we're inclusive. I think it has to be that the party that has the power of going out and doing the outreach and and demonstrating that they're inclusive, because there's a there is a real barrier as to, to why certain groups are, are not engaging, and and that's not going to be overcome by by someone just saying you know actually come and talk to us we're inclusive. So I think outreach is, is super important and support. So there's lots of great organisations like Hatch Enterprises that are that are providing that kind of support. I think it's also just around better coordination in the sector. So you know, so everyone knows what the opportunities are, and that it, it's not just the same sort of enterprises kind of always competing, but that there's there's more of an even playing field.
0: Yeah, I suppose there's also a point about the risk of not including. A really diverse mix of people as as social entrepreneurs
3: absolutely and and ultimately you know this this session is about financial risk but as a social enterprise your biggest risk is mission drift
2: Mm.
3: and that is so easily done and i think you need different voices in the room to prevent that happening i mean we need far more representation from people with lived experience um, across our social enterprises and, and at a governance level to really make sure that, that you know the biggest risk of all, which is are we delivering impact, is is mitigated.
2: Yeah, no, I think it's an excellent point to make. Is that for social enterprises, if we're all about addressing you know social issues as we see them, uh, the idea of the social entrepreneur, um, and as we've moved forward, we now use the the term around lived experience, but. Communities and individuals um, who are wanting to identify and solve social issues, they hold the solutions. Um, And I think within the sector, I would hate to see people parachute into communities or situations, bringing with them uh, an approach or an idea of what works, um, when ultimately they're not the person walking in those shoes um, and experiencing that life. I think the point that Tej uh, has uh, focused on around governance and creating opportunities um, to ensure that we have an inclusive and a much more diverse um, approach to opening up the governance teams of organisations so that they're not closed shops, that they're not, you know, from a risk point of view, you don't want a team that does groupthink, that would be the worst situation ever. So even if we're not thinking about it from an ethical point of view, you know, we look at it even from a risk point of view, ultimately, there needs to be change. um, And there needs to be investment in growing, particularly that next generation of social entrepreneurs, the, the next generation of those young people who are in inspired by what's happening in this world called social enterprise, um, who are creating their social businesses, but ultimately need to be mentored, need to have the experiences around them and support to actually thrive um, as they go forward with their ventures, knowing that it's also okay when things don't go right and, you know, knowing that ultimately, Part of life is learning as you go, so there's huge opportunities within the sector that we do need to address.
1: I think that's a really important point you've raised a couple of times now so around the investment in people, and I think having the resources available for people to build their experience in the way you've just described sounds like one of the most important steps we could take in making sure that that reaches your broader, diverse communities, not not just the people who are already in the loop and sign up for that the established programmes.
2: Yeah, absolutely, Eddie.
3: But I think, Eddie, to do that, we need to have more honest conversations about what social investment and funding of this sector looks like because we we don't have risk capital because you can't invest in 12 ventures and have 10 fail and have two deliver supernormal profits and that'd be okay because that's not the sector we're in. So I get quite frustrated that we, we still do not have these open and honest conversations about the very, very real challenges about financing risk in the sector and, and you know just an acknowledgement that you're not going to finance it by getting returns, mm. just, just profit returns. It, it's just not going to happen. So we need to think far more creatively. But that's a conversation that that I, I rarely hear. Um, and, and the other thing as well is is what we often do in the sector is we use the wrong capital because we haven't got a better alternative so we quite often put in debt when we need equity like capital which is massively increasing the risk for social enterprises and really quite often setting them up to fail because it just isn't appropriate for for you know the particular investment or risk or project that they're looking to take on Um, and then of course you've got to have very high interest rates on that debt because the investor is taking on a high risk right so you know no one's wrong it's just the wrong instrument and the wrong kind of capital but until we can have very honest conversations about how do we bear this risk how do we share this risk with the government with foundations with others so that we can put this kind of capital in.
0: Just to to jump in on that, are there funders that you've seen that are sort of demonstrating a really progressive approach
3: to that? Yes, yeah, so, so fair for all uh, recently set up by the government a few years ago to fund the sector for affordable credit um and they they you know were set up to put equity into these enterprises equity like capital because that they're all asset locked entities. Because for exactly this reason that they consistently had debt and, and it, that wasn't giving them the, the balance sheet foundation they needed to grow, so I think there there are definitely organisations that are doing this, but it's it, it's just not an open conversation, at, at least not one that, that that I seem to engage in.
1: I, I absolutely agree with that observation. I, I mean, people like Cath Venturesome have a, have a small pool of investors who who are investing on the premise that their their money will suffer a bit of attrition over time rather than grow. But that isn't something that is happening right across the sector. And and I think whether it's subsidy or investors who would otherwise be grant makers is something that really needs to be looked at because uh, it's absolutely right that people take risks in commercial environments because there are jackpot returns and those would be immoral in our sector.
3: Yeah, and, and it's hard. I you know, I I I never want this to be a kind of them and us of investors and, and social enterprises mm. because the, the, the truth is, and, and the change coefficient very much sits in the sort of middle of the sector. We see all the different perspectives. Everyone is bound by their own set of circumstances. So if you as an investor have been given money to invest and you need to repay it to your investor, well, of course you need it back. And of course you need to generate a return on it. You know, that that's that's just the fact of your circumstance. But the problem is that we need to get more of these asset owners be a little bit more relaxed so exactly the kind of asset owners you're talking about you know we need more of them and and i think what's really important as we do that is we get a lot more nuance so so we've talked about the sustainability of social enterprises individual social enterprises but i get very concerned about the sustainability of social enterprises as a sector because we're sort of being challenged from quite a few different places we've got more and more corporates um, sort of saying that they're they're doing social enterprise kind of things, and we've got more and more investors saying they're doing social enterprise kind of things, um, which I, I don't think you know the people on this call would necessarily recognise as the kind of things that are really driven by purpose and that are mission first and that are very very impactful. And I worry that that, that we're going to get left behind, um, and that's going to you know we're just going to get more and more diluted. Um, and the funding's going to go there instead of us really working out, OK, well, what is the right funding for this? We're not chasing the same kind of capital. We're trying to do different things. Let's have a really open and honest conversation. And this is where I was talking about pricing in those externalities. I, I do think the government needs to play a bigger role in, in funding for that risk capital, because ultimately there is huge impact from these organisations. So, so, you know, the government is ultimately the one who will benefit. So something like public value equity, where the return is not financial, but is either cost savings or demand management or, you know, impact directly, um, could be a way of getting some of that capital in.
0: Yeah, interesting that you bring it to the level of the whole sector. Zoe, maybe we could just hear from you on... Um different types of investment what kind of finance have you been able to access
2: so at works at various points of uh, of our journey in reinventing our business model um, you know it's fair to say and to share with you that we've been bitten in the past by investment um, and sometimes it's not the type of product available sometimes it's the support uh, and the ideas that come with the people Um, who are ultimately uh, positioned to support and manage that risk around the uh, investment. Um, So you can find yourself working to other people's agendas um, or their ideas of what success looks like, uh, particularly around scale and growth and i would say over the years and we're fortunate that we've been agile in you know recognizing when our you know our business model isn't is not secure or we need to make changes and and that comes with time so over time we become more expert in recognizing when things aren't quite working and being a little bit more agile in addressing them um and that, that's what happens as you you mature as a social enterprise in the sector so, we have become more independent and moved away from investment or financial investment with which to try out uh, new ideas. Again, because this idea around innovation in our sector, to innovate does take risk and uh, ultimately. You have to ensure that your your governance team are are happy and secure with that um, in addition to uh, the organisation that's holding that investment. And ultimately, they themselves are reporting back to a board or or a senior team. uh, So what's their their level of success and what are they happy with their appetite of risk uh, in, in doing? um so you know to share with you in our early days uh, we had it was only quite small thinking about the the grand scale of things uh, but it was a, a 15k loan that in our early days was really important to us because We didn't have to use it in the end but what it allowed us to do in our early years is it allowed us to have that security that as we were testing our ideas and seeing what worked and what didn't uh, that we had that availability we had that in the background that was really um, you know really important for us and then you know a few years after that and again still probably about six years of age back then um, we had a grant loan package, which is a product that's quite typical for the sector. Um, and I have to say, it's probably one of the most bizarre uh, you know, case studies to share with you. But the organisation that, that we had that relationship with, the grant loan package, they sadly went bankrupt. Um, and so we were in a situation where we were being chased to pay back the debt, um, which wasn't a great experience at all. Um, and so you, you hold on to these scars, unfortunately. Um, and you know, I would argue that maybe, you know, looking back and reflecting, and, and reflecting before the pandemic, because we have learnt a lot over this past um, period of time, this, this new other chapter. Um, but prior to that, I would say this may have prevented some of our growth or our ability to scale our impact. Or maybe we didn't have to do it in such a painful way. Um, So that's been our experience at BikeWorks.
3: Zoe makes a really, really important point about how having that that money in the bank freed the team up to think differently. And I think it's a really, really critical point to reinforce. Teams that are constantly chasing next month's cash flow and, and are uncertain whether they can pay their bills are never going to be able to think as effectively as teams that have, say, a six month or a one year runway of cash. It makes a huge difference, just on your ability to engage, on on your stress levels, on on you know just just the whole environment. So that is one message that I would put out to funders: as much as possible, try and give your social enterprise partners the longest runway you can have, because it's not just about that one project. That drives organisational improvements in a way that, that that really really is marked.
0: I mean, it's 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 sort of quite obvious in a way that long term funding is going to be more useful and people have been saying it for a really long time is it surprising that it's still not really happening very much is there a reason for that
3: i think it's just you know we're talking about our risk as social enterprises or the risk of social enterprises there's equally a risk for funders right um so so we almost need to have this conversation as a sector that says how can we mitigate these risks without just transferring it from one to the other because quite often I think that's what happens and it almost becomes a zero-sum game. And I don't think it needs to be that way. I think there's lots of ways that you can work much more in a partnership that actually reduces risk for both both sides. A number of the social impact bonds I've sort of designed or worked on have ended up working in that way because it just becomes a sort of collective approach to impact where you can be really honest about the things that aren't working and the things that are working and together resolve them. As opposed to a contractual relationship where you're reporting every six months or a year, and then you know you're reporting that things don't work, but it's sort of too late, and you know risk is is tracked in a very different way.
1: So Zoe, during the recent sort of COVID period where you had to make big changes, and and as you, you described it, your sort of world fell apart very briefly. And and when you've got concerns about finance and uh, whether you're going to be able to look after all your stakeholders, your employees, et cetera, is there a time when it's better to keep the cards close to your chest about risk and and what's going on in the organisation, do you think?
2: I love this question, Eddie. And and just because we are on a podcast, I am actually smiling right now. (laughs) (laughs) It has to be one of the golden questions, surely. Um, I think if we go back to resilience that you grow and develop by working through problems um, as part of the path of, of growing your experience. Uh, I think at BikeWorks, we're really fortunate to have learnt so many lessons, uh, probably the hard way in our younger years as a social enterprise. Um, you know, those memories where you flinch a little bit and you think, Ugh, I never would ever do it that way again. But ultimately, you're not going to do it that way again. So that's important to recognise. Um, but I think because of these experiences you learn uh, that when the going gets tough or you think it's about to that actually you move away from your human tendency to retreat and stick your head in the sand because we are all human beings and actually when the going gets tough you have to communicate 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 and I think that you know you don't have to have all of the answers. Um, So when you're leading a sustainable organisation, you have to think about what the characteristics are that you need, Um, particularly when you're concerned about risk. um, And risk, sadly, (laughs) our sector still very much focuses on financial positions um, and with an array of stakeholders, as you've described, our, our board partners and our employees, um, and also our beneficiaries, our community, that ultimately, if we have a mission and uh, a purpose, that they are also there to, to serve ultimately. So you have to remember your purpose throughout all of that time that you're communicating as well. Um, because as we've touched on previously, quite often you will just have individuals that drift away from the mission uh, and that again is just part of, of people's human tendencies and dependent on what's happening for them. And that could be members of your governance team, it could be members of your senior team or in any members of your staff. So always remembering your purpose throughout. Um, and ultimately, we're not commercial businesses. We're not here focusing uh, on maximising profit for shareholders or individual owners. We're here using business solutions to ultimately change the little bit of the world that is important to us and makes better lives for people. And so you have to have an approach that's collaborative and ultimately do that together. And look what happened during the pandemic when we all shared a purpose during a period of of the unknown operating during one of the riskiest periods known to us. We collaborated, but ultimately we communicated and we did that through that shared purpose
0: the past year has obviously past year and a half has obviously made us all suddenly much more aware of major risks and the fact that it's really difficult to predict what's coming ahead do you think that that has changed the way social entrepreneurs manage risk and are they kind of dealing with it in a in a better way are they approaching it differently
2: it's so interesting if we look back on you know our experiences and learning from the pandemic particularly within the Sector of social enterprise. If you were chatting to me this time last year, you know, ultimately I'd be you know, thriving as a social entrepreneur, showing exactly, you know, in the right environment how we actually shine and everything we can achieve. Um, and ultimately, during that period, what was really interesting, um, and it ultimately allowed us to look at generating new uh, income streams were the emergency grants available. Um, And for someone who's worked across the charity and social enterprise sector for over 20 years, my greatest fear, of course, when people talk about emergency grants, that actually, you know, being a community interest company or defined legally as a social enterprise, that we might be kept out of that that picture. And fortunately, we were included. And the sector itself, you know, up and down the country, so many fantastic stories of, of what people have been able to achieve in really difficult circumstances. Um, so we've been able to prove, you know, we've been able to prove our weight and our, you know, what it is that we do. I think the worry currently now is as we move into this next phase of living with the effects of the pandemic. I would probably argue that we're not uh, that we're becoming more uh, financially risk adverse. It's fair to say that had we not have had such a successful uh, past year financially and with our impact. Uh, that we would be in a really difficult position right now um, because, again, we still need, as we've been talking throughout this conversation, investment that allows us to really strategize and bring together and detail and bottom out our new financial model, those new income streams. Every part of the system is impacted and we also need space and time to better... Make sure that the ideas that we have have that true detail that sit behind that enable us to move forward in this next period. Um, so it, it feels like people have have retreated a little bit, um, and some of that, of course, you know, may be just the general fatigue of of existing and surviving over this period of time. Um, you know, and I hope we do refresh ourselves and we we get back up. You know, using the the term around uh, resilience. You know, we we have to better look at where we should be investing at this time and what does new risk look like um, and ultimately this is always going to be about balancing uh, people and purpose as well
0: yeah i mean that point about people are exhausted now and taking risks or doing things differently requires a certain amount of energy and yeah a sort of a fresh mindset and things so for some people it's just a time to kind of survive and, and sustain rather than trying to to things very differently at the moment.
3: Tej, what are your thoughts about this? The problem with risk is it's always a new one. (laughs) So every time you go through an experience that's kind of, you know, lots of risks have arisen out of it, it's kind of, it's very different the next time. So I'm always wary around what you can apply. I think the biggest thing we've seen, um, and, and this is very true across local authorities as well as social enterprises, is that organisations have been able to move much more quickly than they ever thought possible. Yeah. So whether that was going digital at the beginning of the pandemic or creating new partnerships or, you know, Spikeworks getting services out to the people who need it at the point of need very, very quickly. Um, and they're realising that they don't necessarily need, you know, months and months of thinking and plans and you know prep and, and all and all the rest to do it is that we you know we can move with small pilots quite quickly and, and scale things up so i hope that, that that approach to risk and just meeting needs um is maintained as the needs become less urgent and um, but but no less important
2: yeah i really hope that that is true moving forwards to be able to prove ourselves uh, and how agile we are and responsive and how we operate differently outside of all of these systems. You know, I hope that, you know, our stakeholders, you know, or as we call them, (laughs) BikeWorks, our colleagues, that they really do remember our response during the pandemic and move forward with us and not without us, definitely.
3: I agree, Zoe, and I think what's really important is that we, Make sure that our systems and processes of um, contracting of you know grant applications, all of those things become more supportive of ultimate impact because I think during the pandemic they really were, and I hope a lot of funders have realized that they don't need the the level of detail or the kind of the the risk mitigants that they thought they needed in the past.
1: Just to sort of round off, we've covered an awful lot of really constructive detail in the conversation, but is, is there just one final tip both of you might have for, for social enterprise leaders at the moment?
3: I have a personal tip, Eddie. <laughs> Which I've, I've, I, so um, during lockdown, I started volunteering at a nursery on Monday mornings, and it's been life-changing because it's so good to start your week with something that just brings you joy. And I think it's really, really important, anyone who works in an industry that, that looks after others and takes on the burdens of others, you have to look after yourself, right? So, so that's, you know, burnout is a very, very real risk in the sector. So I know it's completely off topic, but, but that would be my big piece of advice. Start your week doing something that you love.
2: I think
1: that's a brilliant tip. Thank you. And Zoe, any thoughts?
2: Yeah, for me, Eddie, I think, you know, this is, really is our time to shine as a sector, uh, the road ahead, no doubt, is definitely going to be full of social and environmental issues for us to solve. Um, you know, the pandemic only exposed the uh, vast inequalities and disproportionate inequalities experienced that we already knew were, we're there. Um, and during this next time, it, it's going to be a really difficult difficult period. And I think to do that for social enterprise leaders, reconnecting with your purpose, um, I think also being bold and surrounding yourself with the right people um, are really the the, the final tips that I would share.
0: Thank you so much to our guests, Zoe Portlock from BikeWorks and Tej Dami from The Change Coefficient. Thank you. Thanks, Anna.
1: Thanks to everyone and uh, goodbye and see you again soon.
0: Thank you for listening to this Pioneers Post podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can find more stories and resources for social enterprises and impact investors on pioneerspost.com. And if you'd like to support us as a social enterprise ourselves and get access to loads more premium content, you can subscribe from just £3 a month.